Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. You'll also hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's August 29th. On this day in 1867, Karl Heinrich Ulrich made a public defense of same-sex relationships at the Congress of Jurists in Munich. And this is commonly viewed as the first time that a gay man spoke out publicly on the topic of gay rights. So we need to set the stage a little bit here. Same-sex relationships have existed for pretty much all of human history. And in all that time, there have also been people who lived outside of the way their society thought about gender. And societies have also thought about gender in a lot of different ways. But in Western culture, the idea that this was an identity and that it expressed something intrinsic about who a person is, that idea is a lot more recent. And in some ways, that idea in the West grew up in tandem with an increase in laws against same-sex relationships and against cross-dressing. The language that we used to talk about all this today is also very recent, and it's still evolving. And the terms that we use today didn't exist at all when Karl Heinrich Ulrich gave his address. So not only was he breaking new ground in terms of language around sex and gender, but also if he lived today... He might describe himself in completely different terms, relating to both his gender and his sexual orientation. With that stage set, he was born on August 28, 1825 in Germany. From a very young age, he didn't really fit in with what was expected of a boy. He liked to wear girls' clothing. A lot of his friends were girls, and sometimes he talked about wishing he were a girl. Eventually, he started having relationships with other men. When he went to university, he studied law, theology, and history, and he became a lawyer, a writer, and a judge. Starting in the 1860s, he wrote a series of essays whose title is translated as Studies in the Riddle of Male-Male Love. He coined a new word for men who experience this love, uraniers, which English language writers usually render as earnings, U-R-N-I-N-G-S. Within the concept of earnings, he coined a lot of different terms to describe men who had various same-sex attractions and expressions of their gender. This included men that we would describe as bisexual, pansexual, and intersex today. He framed all of this under the idea that earnings essentially constituted a third sex. And he wrote about how relationships between people of the same sex, particularly men, should be legal and that such couples should be allowed to marry. This was a start of a long series of articles that he kept writing into the 1870s. And all of this was before the word homosexual was coined. Ulrichs also tried to start organizations for gay men and to advocate against the laws that criminalized homosexuality. His work was banned, though, and at one point he was sent to prison for doing it. On August 29, 1867, he gave this speech at the Congress of German Jurists in Munich, in which he gave this public defense of the idea of homosexuality. He was advocating for the repeal of anti-homosexual laws. The response to it, though, was overall not favorable at all. He was shouted down at the meeting, his works were again banned, and the laws in question were not repealed. In 1880, he left Germany and he lived the rest of his life in Italy. He died in 1895. 
Although the terminology that he coined, earnings, isn't really in use today, this is one of the first attempts to create a framework of language for how we talk about gender and same-sex relationships. And Carl Maria Kurtbeni, who was the man who did coin the word homosexual, did so in a letter to Ulrichs about his theories of gender and sexuality. Thanks very much to Christopher Hasiotis for his research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison for all of her audio work on this podcast. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for one of history's most delightful names. Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we uncover the remnants of history every day. The day was August 29, 1921. Wendell Oliver Scott was born in Danville, Virginia. He would later become the first Black man to win a race in NASCAR's Grand National Series. Scott's father was a driver for wealthy white families, and he worked on their cars. He learned a lot about auto mechanics from his father, though Scott's parents later split up and he did not see his father for many years. From a young age, Scott recognized the realities of segregation and Jim Crow in the South. By the time he was a teenager, he began taking jobs to support his family. He worked at a drugstore, and he became a bricklayer. But when Scott got tired of bricklaying, he started working as a taxi driver and bought his own cab. Scott soon became known for his speed as a taxi driver. He earned that reputation with passengers and with police officers. He got 13 tickets in his time as a taxi driver. In 1942, Scott was drafted in World War II and began serving in the Army's 101st Airborne. His work was focused on maintaining vehicles. Two years later, while he was on leave, he married Mary Bell Coles, a woman he met while he was driving his cab. They eventually had six children together. When World War II was over, Scott went back to Danville and began building a business in mechanic work. While the business was successful, he took on a partner who mismanaged their money. That partner eventually died in an accident that also caused their shop to burn down. So Scott started bootlegging whiskey. But bootlegging was dangerous work. In 1949, Scott regularly watched races at the Danville Fairgrounds Speedway. The next year, racing promoter Martin Rogers was looking to bring more people to the races and decided to find a Black driver to increase publicity. He asked the cops which Black guy would be a good fit, and they suggested Wendell Scott. So Scott borrowed a car he had used for running liquor that he had since sold to his brother-in-law. He loved his first race. He started out in the Dixie circuit and went on to do other races that were not affiliated with NASCAR in Virginia. He won a race for the first time in June of 1952, and he continued on to win other races. Though there had been other Black drivers before Scott, he was often the only one at his events, and racism was still rampant in the 1950s in the U.S. People yelled slurs at him and threatened his children. 
Plus, he did not have sponsors, a paid pit crew, or a mechanic besides himself. NASCAR, or the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, was founded in 1948. Though he had been rejected from entering NASCAR-sanctioned races because of his race, he entered his first one in 1954. Scott was the first Black driver to be in a race that was sanctioned by NASCAR. Scott was never able to race in a new car because he could not afford it and did not have sponsorship. But he built his own cars and was successful in racing. Still, he was frequently singled out as a Black driver. Other drivers would intentionally wreck his car during races. Inspectors would demand unnecessary repairs before he could race. This discrimination continued despite some support from William France Sr., or Big Bill, the founder of NASCAR. And it caused Scott to make less money, which had to go toward paying for his bills, gas, and car repair costs. Though Scott's cars were not as new and improved as the other driver's cars, he still performed well in his first NASCAR season. In 1961, Scott made his first appearance in the Grand National, now called the Winston Cup, in South Carolina. Two years later, he won his first and only Grand National race. Scott continued racing for several years, but in 1973, he was involved in a crash at Talladega Speedway in Alabama. He survived the crash, but fractured many bones and had to retire from racing. After returning to work in an auto repair shop and paying for his children to go to college, he died of spinal cancer in 1990. After his death, Scott was inducted into several halls of fame, including the National Sports Hall of Fame and the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to learn more about Scott, you can in the two-part episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Wendell Scott, Black NASCAR Driver in the Jim Crow Era. You can find the link to that episode in the description. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.